Mark. Yes. So I actually had a thought while watching Ghostbusters that the movie then later acknowledged, but I had been planning on talking about it anyway. I am very suspicious. It's not a trap. Okay, I don't believe you. I know it's usually a trap, but this time it's not a trap. You would say that even if it was a trap? I would. So I don't believe you at all. Guys, get ready, because I am almost certain this will be Duck Talk. It's not Duck Talk. Okay. No. So in Ghostbusters, during the montage, it's the second of the three times that they played the Ghostbusters theme song in the movie. Okay. I was counting. Yeah, we'll kept a tally. Yes. Uh, It was fewer than I expected. It's nothing like Back to the Future, where they play the power of love actually like six times. That's true. Three is is fine. Four times too few. (laughs) Because that song is incredible. If you say so. So during the montage, the second time that they're playing it, when the Ghostbusters are getting really popular, they flash across an Atlantic cover that says... Politics of the next dimension. Do ghosts have civil rights? Oh, I saw that. Which I had actually been wondering about. Is ghost busting ethical? Uh, Who can say? Who's to say? It's one of those things where like, I mean, are ghosts people? I mean, they don't look or act like people. But what about the librarian ghost? She looked like a person. She did look like a zombie person. Yeah. But they don't seem to be in full... Like, awareness of their surroundings. You don't think Slimer knows what he's doing when he's devouring all that food in the hotel? It seems like they're reduced to a very, like, id-based, minimal existence. Ah, but aren't we all an id-based, minimal existence when you get down to it? Yeah, humans suck. (laughs) But seriously, I mean, is there something inherently wrong with capturing somebody's essence and trapping it in a box, theoretically, forever, I guess? Yeah, I don't really know what their long-term plan is, either. Like, they were talking about how their system is already overwhelmed before they're running out of space. Like, what is their plan? It reminded me a lot of debates about where to put nuclear waste. Yeah. (laughs) Like, what are you going to do with all these ghost souls? I don't know. I think it's an interesting discussion that we don't really need to solve right here. I think it's the same answer as the nuclear waste answer, which is launch it into space. (laughs) If you say so. I thought you were going to say Nevada. (laughs) No. Well, Nevada's fine too. Throw a few more ghosts in Nevada. Who will notice? Yeah. No, I think that's it. You shoot it into the sun. Isn't that even more unethical? What would happen to a dead person launched to the sun? Well, what happens when you... Can you destroy a ghost? I don't know. Like... Because their lasers... I kind of... Don't destroy the ghost. They just trap them in the trap. I kind of picture it like Pokemon. Like they're put in... They're materialized into a computer... Can file. you kill a Pokemon? No, I mean like how in Pokemon you can put your Pokemon on the PC. Right, which is very creepy. It's really weird. So maybe it's like that, where all of a sudden they're in suspended animation because they're on the internet. Okay, so in which case you could have infinite storage for ghosts. As, as long, long as, as you, you have enough gigabytes. As long as you paid for unlimited Google Drive space. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then you could organize them into folders like ghost comma food based comma green. And there's Slimer. And there's your Slimer. Yeah, or ghost comma slimy comma librarians and there's the librarian with the slime she left a lot of she left a lot of slime she maybe she's the real slimer Mm. we really should watch the tv show because apparently slimer is like a main character slimer is a huge thing in the broader ghostbusters merchandising world i mean they made a ton of tie-in merchandise yeah like they made ecto goo it was like a drink you could get i think i knew about slimer was on all of it Yeah. yeah wild Okay, well, it's time for Heart of Podness. I'm Mark, and I'm gay. And I'm Will, and I'm a ginger. This is a podcast where we delve deep into cinematic love stories to answer the age-old question, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable? 
or are they even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or just a one-scene flirtation. We're going to dig in and see what's there. And this week, we have our first listener suggestion. Aww, yeah. This movie was brought to you by listener Catherine Kay from the District of Columbia. Yeah, we're watching, as you may have guessed by now, the 1984 hit Ivan Reitman comedy Ghostbusters, written by two of its stars, Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis. And then, of course, the third star is Bill Murray as Peter Venkman. Now, you had not seen this movie before. No, I had not. So what did you think? It was really fun. Yeah. Like, I understand why people like it. Yeah. It's just a silly romp through Manhattan with ghosts and Bill Murray. Yeah, I saw it as a little kid, and it freaked me out. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Zool messed me up. Okay, that well, makes not, sense. Not Zool so much as Gozer. Right. Terrified me more. And the big creepy dog monsters. Right. And then I watched it again in college where I was so thrown by what a dirtbag Peter Venkman is. Oh, yeah. Which I just didn't anticipate. Oh, I kind of saw it coming as soon as, like, Bill Murray mid-80s. This really fits. Right, but I didn't see it coming, and that threw me so much that I didn't really appreciate it. So it was fun to go back and watch it and be like, oh, this is a lot of fun. The movie doesn't really approve of him. No. The movie does not really take his side. No. And I guess it's supposed to be in the end he learns his ways. But Which we'll discuss, but he does not at all. He's a dirtbag. Um... Yeah, I don't know. It was just very fun. It's a good time. The There's a giant marshmallow, well. marshmallow. That's such a great reveal. It is. It's so Even funny. Even if you know it's coming, it's still yeah, a it great Yeah, it still reveal. works so well. The Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. Yeah, and I always love Sigourney Weaver. And she is, like, peak Sigourney Weaver in this yeah. movie. And this is a couple of years after Alien. Is it really? Alien is 79, I think. Oh, I didn't know it was that early. Aliens wow. is later in the 80s. Yeah. But the original one is, I think, 79 yeah. or 78. She looks hot in this movie. She looks great. Let's be real. Yeah. Um, what did you think of the politics of this movie? I was not a fan of that, yeah. I will say. This is the most Reagan-y movie that's ever been made. Oh, for sure. It's the mid-80s. It's about a bunch of white men. They're entrepreneurs. They're starting their own business. And who's getting in their way? Those darn government environmental regulations. Yeah, how dare the EPA try and keep the world clean and safe? Walter Peck is, for the most part, a stellar public servant. Yeah. He's a little bit too gung-ho. He's too gung-ho, but he's doing his job and he's following the laws. They've got all these like weird substances that they're just storing in a residential district. In the basement. Of a building With no that has already no basically been condemned. They've admitted they don't really know that much about it. Yeah, they don't know what's going on. They admit that there's some nuclear elements to this. Yeah, it's all nuclear powered. Yeah. Where it, are they storing that waste? Oh, that's a good point. They're shooting it into the sun. Oh, boy. No, Peter, what's his name? Peter Venkman? No, Peck. Oh, Walter Peck. Walter Peck. He's really a really weird choice for a villain because he's doing everything right. Right, And everything he does is moral. And the movie just hates on him. It's so Reagan-y. Oh, that's the worst part of it. That and him trying to seduce a student of his at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. We are definitely going to talk about that. That's really the only part where he's super sleazy, though. Yeah, I mean, there's some stuff where he repeatedly does not take no for an answer with Dana. Yeah. Which is annoying. It is annoying. But it feels less gross it's in that situation. Gross. Yeah. It's because he's not like making any contact with her or anything. He's just being more persistent with words, which is still bad because you should respect when people say no. But it's less like. It's less predatory. Uh, yeah, less predatory. Because also the power dynamic is different because right. he's not preying on one of his students. Yeah, that's the big problem. But we'll get to that. This movie also, speaking of the politics of it and speaking of the student relationship, it also yeah. does not think super highly of higher education. No. Because it's like right as they make their big discovery is when the university cuts their funding. 
Because the university does, doesn't care about it. Which also is valid, because why did Columbia even fund... In an, the first place. Like, an extrasensory perception department in the first place. Right. And oh, I like the rationale that they're saying, like, we can no longer justify this to our donors. Yeah, of course you can't. It's so dumb. But then they're hanging out outside after they get canned, and Ray... Dan Aykroyd is talking about how it's going to be a lot harder than Vekman expects. And he says, you've never been out of college. You don't know what it's like out there. I've worked in the private sector. They expect results. Which is another one of those, like, Reagan-y just digs at these traditionally liberal institutions. Yeah. So weirdly conservative. But despite that, this movie is like... Actually, I don't think it's weird when you think about Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd today. And probably not despite that, maybe in 1984, because of it, this movie is a huge hit. Yeah. It was number one at the box office for seven consecutive weeks. That's insane. Basically all of June and July. And then it bounced back to number one three different times. That's ridiculous. This movie would not stop. And at first I was like, maybe it had a slow rollout and it was just adding screens and kept doing really well at those. But it didn't. It like opened really big, grew a little bit the next week, a tiny bit the next week. And then it was losing screens, but still staying at number one. Crazy. It was wild. And by the way, in a very 1984 move, the first movie to knock it out of number one was Purple Rain. Perfect. I'm on board for that. Yeah. So the movie, it's written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis, who play Ray and Egon, two of the Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. It was originally supposed to start John Belushi and John Candy, who they knew from SNL. Both make sense. Although John Candy was going to be playing Lewis. Is that the, the Dana's neighbor? neighbor? Yeah. Yeah. That would be an interesting casting choice. Yeah. But then, of course, John Belushi died and John Candy wouldn't totally commit to it. Mm. And they were overhauling the script because originally they were going to be like bouncing through time and space hunting ghosts. Oh, good Lord. And that was going to be too expensive with the yeah, special effects. For sure. So they retooled it to make it more grounded. Yeah. And one of the other things was they retooled it. Because once they got Bill Murray on board, they expanded his role a lot. And did, is that why Ernie Hudson's role got cut? Because I think I knew that. Yeah, Ernie Hudson's role, as a result of that, got cut by a lot. He's talked about how when he originally signed on board, he appeared on like page six of the script. Yeah. And by the time the movie was made, he appeared on page 60. That's so awful. Because he's yeah. so good. He's like, funny in it. He's great. I don't know why they cut him so much. He has like 10 lines. I also like Ernie Hudson as a parallel to Bill Murray, to Peter Venkman in it. Yeah. Because Venkman for much of the movie, does not believe in ghosts, does not believe in the supernatural. He's using it basically as the Columbia president calls him out on it, using science as a hustle. Yeah, which he is. And he kind of looks down even on his friends who believe in this. He makes fun of them pretty repeatedly. Right. Even as they're discovering things. Whereas Ernie Hudson doesn't believe in it and explicitly doesn't believe in it, but is very casual and kind of indifferent about his disbelief. He's like, I'll believe whatever you want as long as you pay me. Yeah, which is great. That's a good line. It's funny stuff. So... In Catherine's email to us, yes. she suggested this movie as a test of our mission to explore movies where romance is a minor element of the plot. Right. Do you think that makes sense for this movie? Um, I actually think so, because like, while it is a driving factor of Bill Murray's like character motivation is trying to date Dana, once she's possessed, it's really not about saving the girl, and they don't even seem to think of it that way. It is just about stopping this apocalyptic event that's a good point they're not talking about it like oh we have to stop this to save dana they're surprised to see that she's still alive at the end they're doing this just to save the city of new york and even for a good chunk in the middle of the movie she disappears and isn't mentioned yeah like she's there and then they have the whole thing about how big they're becoming and that becomes the main point and she's gone for a while and then she just shows up again just in time to be possessed by zul right 
So, yeah, I would say that this is definitely probably the least romancy of any movie we've covered. Yeah, and that said, I still think we have a lot to talk about, so I'm excited oh, to yeah. do it. So thanks again to Catherine for the suggestion. And just to make sure we're all on the same page, since this is kind of a minor plot line, why don't you explain the plot of Ghostbusters for us in 30 seconds? Okay, it's been a while, so I might be a little rusty. I believe in you. Okay. Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd believe in ghosts and figure out how to capture them. They're fired from Columbia, so they start their own business in an abandoned fire station. They get a hearse as their car and a sassy secretary. No one comes for business, but then Sigourney Reaver shows up looking hot after seeing a ghost in the fridge. There's no evidence when Bill Murray goes to her apartment. Then the Ghostbusters become huge and bust lots of ghosts. Bill and Sigourney agree to go on a date, but then she's possessed. The EPA comes and ruins everything. Sigourney and nerdy neighbor, also possessed, bring back an evil god who becomes the Stay Puft Man. The Ghostbusters bust him and become heroes of the city. Bill Murray gets the girl. Yay! I gotta say, Ghost in the Fridge is my favorite problematic Scarlett Johansson movie. Uh, okay. <laughs> I was hoping for more from that. <laughs> uh, I couldn't. Oh, boy. That was... Mm. Did you see that? I did not see it. No one I've saw I've also it. not played the game. It's a game, is it right? a game? Or is it a manga? Is it both? Who knows? Does anyone know what Ghost in the Shell is? <laughs> if you know what Ghost in the Shell is, please don't explain it to us. I refuse to learn more about this movie. I would movie. prefer to live in ignorance. Yeah, I don't want to learn more. Yeah. This is not going to be one of our new hashtags. No, it's not. This is officially not a hashtag. Hashtag not Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> All right? I don't so want that ever, one either. If you're ever thinking about talking to us about Ghost in the Shell, just remember, hashtag not Ghost in the Shell. But don't waste your characters on that in your actual tweets. Unless you're about to tweet us about Ghost in the Shell, you can just tweet at us, oops, Hashtag not ghost in the shell. <laughs> okay. If you say so. Yeah, that's definitely just a good thing for all of us to remember. Now, cool. uh, since we're focusing on the romance of Ghostbusters, I think right. we should dive into our five points, breaking it down. Let's go. And I think we should start in Peter Venkman's parapsychology lab. Where he's all creepy. Yeah, this is the second scene of the movie. Yeah, it's not great. And Peter Venkman is conducting a horribly inethical test. Oh, we're going to talk all about this test. So he's conducting a test that he says is studying the effect of negative reinforcement on ESP ability. And by that, he means trying to get in the pants of a sexy blonde co-ed. So what he's doing is he's holding up a card with shapes on it so that he can see it. And his two test studies can't. Right. And he'll be asking one of them what shapes are on it. It's a triangle or wavy lines or a square or whatever. Right. And if they get it right, then they're good. If they get it wrong, they get shocked. Right. And so one of the test subjects is a nerdy boy and the other is a hot blonde. Neither of them is doing great at this. No. Because uh, ESP does not exist. Right. Which also, it's clear that it doesn't exist in this world, even where ghosts exist, and which I enjoy. It's clear that he doesn't really believe it exists. Oh, for sure. So every time the... Boy says something, he says, you're wrong, and shocks him. And he is wrong all but one time. Yeah, he's wrong. But even that one time, he still shocks him. Right. And he shows the card afterward. Like, he's obvious, like, you got it wrong. Here's a shock. But then when the blonde says something, she happens to always be right, regardless of what's on the card. And he's complimenting her a lot. And telling her, like, oh, you can't see through these cards, right? Yeah. He's like, wow, you have a gift. Yeah. And she's eating it up with a spoon. Like, she is so on board. And he actually leans really hard into this when the dude threatens to quit. And Venkman says, hey, we're paying you to be here, right? Yeah. And the dude eventually gets fed up and leaves. And as he's walking out, he says, you can keep the $5. Yeah. And so it was supposed to be like 75 questions. They've gotten through five. Right. And so Bill Murray would have shocked him all 75 times. Yeah, it would have been terrible. It would have been awful. Also, this we don't, even in the 80s, you couldn't 
shock human test subjects. Right. It's clearly based on the Milgram experiment. Which was in like the 50s. It's in the 60s. 60s. And after that, they were like, wow, we're never doing a test like this again. And also, crucially in the Milgram experiment, there's no actual shocking. Right. But even that, like, even part of the, like, ruling on that is we can't do this. And that's when they kind of invent ethical boards. Right, exactly. Which Columbia would have in the psychology department where he's teaching for some reason. Yeah, funny story about that. So I taught psychology for a couple of years. Right. And one of my first units was always about ethics in psychology and ethics in research. And I would use the Milgram experiment as an example and then talk about some of the rules the APA has since introduced and how they responded to that. And I thought it would be fun the first year that I taught the course to also show this scene from Ghostbusters and be like, look at this funny thing, and we can critique its failure of ethics. That seemed like a cool idea, except that most of my students then could not remember the difference between Ghostbusters and the Milgram experiment. experiment. (laughs) So on the tests, I would read these descriptions where they were supposed to describe the Milgram experiment, and I just kept writing, this is Ghostbusters on all the tests. Oh, no. Did you also teach them about when they tried to recreate it with a puppy instead of a human? No. Yeah, so they did it again, but instead of another person they were shocking, it was a puppy. And the people who were willing to actually shock, like, follow through dropped significantly. Really? Yeah, like, people were so much less willing to shock a puppy than they were a fellow human being. That's messed up, man. It's messed up, but I also totally understand it. Because puppies are cute and innocent. Whereas other humans have agency. I mean, my favorite psychology experiment that you're not allowed to do anymore is the Little Albert experiment. Which one's that? So it's a conditioning experiment from the 1920s. Yeah. Which is great because we have black and white silent film of it. Oh, that sounds creepy. It's real creepy. I don't even know what happened and I'm already creeped out. So they're trying to see if you can condition a kid, a baby, to be afraid of something that they wouldn't normally fear. So what they did is, and again, we have silent film of it, but we have film of it. They would give the baby like a stuffed animal or a blanket. Or have it touch like an actual rabbit or something. Mm -hmm. And anytime the baby touched something soft, they would slam a hammer against a steel rod. Jesus Christ. To make this horrible sound. Why would would you do this to a child? To see if you could condition it. And eventually they succeeded where if you watch the later part of the video, they just introduce something soft to the baby. And the baby starts like crying and trying to get away. And it's really awful. But I loved showing Those it to my kids. Those are some really f***ed up kids now. Yeah. Oh, boy. It was just this one kid known as Little Albert. Okay. Um, that poor kid. Yeah, and I always got a kick out of showing that to my students. All right. So, so speaking of that, the point of this all is... Peter Venkman, terrible he's a researcher, creep. creep. When the male test subject leaves, Venkman goes to the other student and tells her... You may as well get used to that. It's the kind of resentment that your ability is going to provoke in some people. Yeah, and he's laying it on thick. He Does he even put his arm around her? Yes, he does. Yeah, it's gross. And that's when Ray interrupts to say that they've been asked to go investigate a ghostly appearance at the library. And he's saying like, hey, I'm in the middle of something. Can you give me another hour, hour and a half? Yeah. Gross. Well, and so then he says, why don't you come back at eight yeah. to the girl? And she agrees because she's buying it. She's eating it all up. Yeah. I don't like it. I don't like it. It's real gross. I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> so at that point, we're going to cut ahead. The Ghostbusters identify this ghost at the library. They start developing their technology to right. track down and store ghosts. And they become kind of a big deal. No, not before Dana. Oh, you're right. They start getting a little bit because they put on the TV ad. Yeah. That magnificent, just like real bad TV ad. Right. The three of them talking straight at the camera. So point two is when they introduce Dana. So obviously 
the first shot of Dana, she's holding her instrument because she's a performer in the orchestra. She's a cellist. But she also has a brown paper grocery bag with the obligatory lettuce sticking out the top. That's the only thing you're allowed to put in a brown paper bag. It's yeah. just full of lettuce all the way down. <laughs> I know. I don't know why, but every time they show someone carrying like a brown grocery bag in a movie, there's always lettuce sticking out of the top. Because it's not interesting to have like a can of soup sticking out the top. Yeah. Lettuce spices up the scene. But I'm sure there's other it's things you could do. Color. Like, I don't know. What about upside down carrots? Or... Just like they do in anything set in France, bread. Because I would much rather just look at bread. That would confuse the audience because if you see a baguette sticking out of a bag, that means you're in France. That's true. It's Everyone the visual would be shorthand like, of cinema. Everyone would be like, I could have sworn they were filming in Manhattan, but it must be Paris. Right. If it was Manhattan, there would be Muppets. Manhattan was taken. Sometimes I wish this was a video just to s- so you could all see the death glares I give to Will during the recording of these podcasts. I regret nothing. Okay, so she comes home and she's putting away the groceries, including the lettuce, and she opens her fridge. Actually, there's well, actually some... before this, no, the her eggs... eggs start popping yeah. out of the egg carton and frying themselves on her counter. Right, so she's already weirded out. So then she goes to open the fridge, and it's a giant portal to nowhere. Like, spectrum yeah. colors all over the place. Very 80s, and then you just hear a v- creepy voice coming out of what looks like, like the actual devil. in the distance. Yeah. Yeah. Go, Zool. And then she closes the fridge and freaks out. Right. As you do. And then she goes to visit the Ghostbusters who have just moved into their new firehouse headquarters. And so obviously the person who deals with her is Venkman because he's a creep and Sigourney Weaver is a beautiful woman. So she walks in. Ray is working on the car. And so he sits up and looks. The Ectomobile? The Ectomobile. But... He doesn't really interact with her, so she goes and talks to their secretary, who is Janine one of my favorite characters. Is the best. Um, who was also madly in love with Egon. Yeah, which is a great touch. Oh, for sure, but hates everyone else. Um, and so she's you know very blasé about it, and is just like, oh, whatever. Like, why are you here? And then Bill Murray, she is their first customer. She's the first customer ever. Yeah. And so Bill Murray comes and like jumps over a desk to talk to her, clearly excited. So they go back to his office and she explains what happens. And then he brings in Ray and Egon to talk about it more. And they decide, oh, they'll look into some of the architectural stuff for the building. They'll look into mythological lore Who to find Zool out about Zool. is. And Venkman says, all right, I'll take Miss Barrett back to her apartment and check her out. I mean, check it out. Oh, boo. boo. So then they go to the apartment. And he's looking around to see any evidence of ghostly activity. Unfortunately, this is a point where Venkman still doesn't really believe in any of this. Right. Even so, though he's seen multiple ghosts. Right. He's seen multiple ghosts, but he's His still... His skepticism is, is like very scully, scully levels right. of unbelievable skepticism. It's ridiculous. So he's just like squirting air around in oh, the apartment yeah. as he looks around. And like being a little bit creepy as he goes through. Like saying, oh, there's a lot of space. It's just you. And she says, yes. And he says, good. And then he asks, what's behind this door? And she says, that's the bedroom. Nothing ever happened in there. And his response is just, that's a crime. Yeah. Very creepy. And at that point, she actually calls him out on taking forever to check out the fridge. She's like, do you want to look at the fridge? Yeah. (laughs) Which I appreciate. She is completely reading this situation. Yeah. Which I think is, again, the movie calling out his sleaziness and being like, everybody here knows this is an okay. Mm -hmm. As opposed to the occasional sleazy rom-com behavior that becomes normal because of the insane universe of a rom-com. Yeah. Where, like, stalking can be okay because it's it's cute. 
I think even when they're looking around the apartment, he says to her face that he loves her. And I was like, wow, that's bold. And when he starts his whole pickup monologue about trying to get with her, he says, you know, I feel like we have a lot of the same problems. And she says, yes, we both have the same problem. You. you. That was a great line. Yeah, that's So awesome. she is putting him off for sure at this point. He declares that he's going to prove himself to her by finding out more about this. Yeah. And it's still not really convincing that he's going to do this, but he's at least going to put on a show of finding out about all this. Right. Which he doesn't even do. Like, they definitely drop this for a while. They get very distracted. Yeah, because he opens the fridge and there's nothing in there. Right. Well, there's food. (laughs) Right, which he makes a thing about all the junk food in there. Right. So, then they go back and then we can skip ahead in the plot. Oh, I did want to point out, they show this right after... If they're so broke, like they're talking about how they have no money and no customers, how do they have three stand-up arcade games in their firehouse? They definitely bought that before they went broke. Yeah, this is like before they become big, they still have these arcade games. Yeah, because it's an 80s sci-fi comedy. Yeah, I guess they're just obligatory. They know their target audience. Oh, boy. Uh, Before we get to point three, the one thing we need to acknowledge is, as part of that montage, Ray has an encounter with a ghost. Oh, oh, yeah. Um... It's never explained. It's just there. It is just there. It is totally like a fantasy that Dan Aykroyd definitely just has that he included. Like he thinks about a lot. Wrote the script. Right. That's what I mean. Like he worked this in for himself because he often fantasizes about getting a blowy from a ghost. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how to add anything more to that. It's there. I had totally forgotten it was there. Yeah. But there it is. There it is. No context, no explanation. Just a ghost lady who then disappears, but then his pants open. Yeah. Anyway. Yep. His eyes like roll back into his head. Oh, boy. It's It's real weird. I don't like it. So the Ghostbusters take off. They become really famous. They're being talked about on Larry King. Right. They're on the cover of the Atlantic. New York loves the Ghostbusters. They show that Dana is following along their career. Yes. Even if they're not interacting with Dana, she's still like following them along. Just because things on TV. And it's impossible not to in New York. Yeah, because she's just like doing exercise and watching TV. She's making a stir fry and listening to the radio. No matter what she's doing, the Ghostbusters are there. And we don't see anything weird going on with her fridge or anything. No. The weirdest thing in Dana's life is that her neighbor, Lewis, continues to be infatuated with her. Which is, like, understandable. Yeah, he's played She's by Rick Moranis. Great. He's pretty funny. Yeah. I enjoyed his character. He does a good job. I like that he's an accountant. Right. And he throws this big party, and he invites his clients. So that to they can write all, it off. Right. To write it off as a business expense. Yeah. So he doesn't invite any of his friends. He also is always looking to make more money. Like, at the very end, after he's been rescued, he immediately asks the Ghostbusters who does their taxes. It's a great move. Yeah, I respect his commitment to his job. He's working hard. Rick Moranis crushing it in this period, because it's right around the same time as Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, yeah. He doesn't look as short in Little Shop of Horrors. Maybe he's wearing those, like, boost shoes that Tom Cruise wears. Yeah, because, like, in this movie, Sigourney Weaver towers over him. She's also just a tall woman, right? Yeah, but I guess everyone else, I actually think they all might be really tall in this movie. Yeah. Actually, how tall is Sigourney Weaver? I have no idea, but I'm sure that... Siri, how tall is Sigourney Weaver? It didn't work. How tall is Sigourney Weaver? It's loading. Okay, Google. Oh, wow. Sigourney Weaver is about six feet tall. Oh, wow. Yeah, so she is a tall woman. How can I help? Shut up, Google. (laughs) You're not needed here anymore. Siri came through. Yeah. All right. Shockingly. So with that knowledge, let's move on to point three. (laughs) Yeah. So in point three... Dana is coming out of orchestra rehearsal, and she sees Venkman kind of, like, 
scooting around in the street, yeah. doing a little dance thing, drawing attention to himself so that she'll see him. She's with a guy who is also in love with her. Also a member of the orchestra. Yeah, another member of the orchestra who is clearly infatuated, just like Rick Moranis' character. Right. Everyone who encounters Dana, except for Egon, falls immediately in love. I mean, they don't really show Ray interested. No, but I assume he is. Yeah, probably. Ray's busy getting ghost action on the side. Yeah. Okay. Ew. I forgot about that. So, I'd like to keep forgetting about that. So Dana goes over to Venkman and asks him for an update on the investigation into her mysterious haunted refrigerator. Right. Which is... Is haunted the right word or is it just the possessed refrigerator? It's more of like a gateway than an actual haunting. Mm. Like it becomes a gateway to another dimension. Might you say she's the keeper of the gate? Will, spoilers, we haven't gotten there yet. Didn't you summarize the plot like... 10 minutes ago? Yeah, probably. I didn't use the word gatekeeper, though. Okay. Wait, is she the gatekeeper or is she the key master? She's the gatekeeper. She's the gatekeeper. And... Oh, yeah. Lewis is the key master. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Because she is the gatekeeper and he is the key master. Also, the gate is literally in her apartment. Yeah. Literally the keeper of the gate. That's true. But... Yes, there's also something else there. Yeah, there's a Freudian analysis to be made there. Oh, for sure. So she asks for an update. He says they should go somewhere private to do the update. And at first she says no, uh, but then he asked to do the information exchange Thursday night. Basically, he's repeatedly asking her out on a date. Right. Which she is pretending to not be aware of, but later is shown that she's clearly aware of this. Yes, because she says she's busy, and then he goes on a whole thing about, oh, like, oh, this isn't a normal customer thing. This is special treatment because I respect you. And eventually she's <laughs> worn down and agrees to do it. Yeah. She's eventually just like, all right, fine. Basically just like one date. They don't use the word date, but she acknowledges that it's a date. Like, mm. she runs into Lewis, who's asking if she's coming to his party, and she says, like, oh, no, I'm sorry, I've got a date. And then she's talking to her mom on the phone, and she also tells her mom that she has a date. Specifically with a Ghostbuster. With a Ghostbuster, yeah, which also shows how widely known they are. Everybody knows the Ghostbusters. Everyone knows the Ghostbusters. Look, when there's something strange in the neighborhood, there's only one person to call. Which Ghostbusters. Which is not in their commercial. No, it's just the song. <laughs> so no one in the world knows about this song. Um, I like to think that the song does exist in-universe. That the song is not something written for the movie, but that it is part of this universe. I feel like it could have been a commission jingle for after they got big. Yeah. They were just like, all right, now that we can afford a real commercial, let's get this song written. It feels like the kind of song that would exist in the universe of this movie. Well, yeah. That's because it's not really that unbelievable of a universe. It's basically ours. Our universe plus ghosts. Yeah. So, our universe. <sighs> um. So, this is when... The shocking twist happens. Oh, no. This is our fourth point. Right. The fourth point. So earlier, we'd seen a gargoyle break apart. and a On real, the roof of Dana's building. On the roof of Dana's building. Which has like a weird, creepy, like sacrifice temple on the roof. I mean, it's not supposed to look like that. That's exactly what it looks like. Yeah. There's an altar and everything. Yeah. I guess when you zoom in, when they have like wide shots of the building, it, look it just like looks that. like a building. But right. zoomed in, it is really creepy. And so a gargoyle breaks and then a weird dog demon is inside of it who then runs away and possesses Sigourney Weaver. And so then when Venkman arrives to pick her up for the date, she's been possessed by this gatekeeper dog demon. She's in this like flowy orange robes. And she's really open about the fact that she's possessed. She's not like trying to play it off. Right. No, no, no. She's not one of those things that's trying to insinuate herself into human society she's just like all right let's go we're bringing about are the you apocalypse. the key master i really like the effort that zool put into putting her in this like orange robe and redoing her makeup because clearly after she got possessed this dog demon went into the bathroom 
changed her clothes, and then stood in front of the mirror and just did her makeup. Well, if you're going to bring about the end of the world, you got to do it with style. Yeah, clearly. Other, why would they pick Sigourney Weaver to possess if not for the style? Exactly. I guess that is uh, immediately disproven when they take over um, Rick Moranis' <laughs> Rick Moranis's well, character. He's a fun guy. Yeah, but he wears exclusively turtlenecks with button-downs over them. It's a style. <laughs> it's a style. That's for sure. There are some people who have no style. He has a style. Yeah. A style that he sticks to. And I feel like people don't get enough credit for that. If you say so. He's his own man. If you've never met us, Will exclusively wears turtlenecks and button-down shirts. That's me. So that's why he's so defensive about you this. You yep. Love those turtlenecks. They crawl up around my neck like a little blanket all the time. Did you see the Reductress article? I did not. It was like how to wear a turtleneck without being slightly turned on by the small amount of choking all day. I did see that, actually. So. Classic. Venkman arrives and... She's being all creepy. At first, she asks if he's the key master, and he says no. She slams the door. Sonny knocks again. That time, yeah. he says yes, and he's let in. And so they go to the bed. She says they need to prepare for the coming of Gozer. Right. And she's, like, trying to have sex with him because apparently that's how you summon Gozer. Apparently. She's and he like, says, I make it a rule never to get involved with possessed people. In a shocking twist to me, after setting him up as this creep... He clearly recognizes that she's unable to give consent in this situation and backs out of it. He's not willing to cross. Yeah. I even wrote in my notes, I was like, oh no, he's about to assault her. And then I said, oh wait, he's not. That's nice. <laughs> and he has some funny lines yeah. in the midst of his refusal. Like when she says, I want you inside me. And he says, sounds like there's already too many people in there. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that one. He keeps demanding to talk to Dana. And right. instead she starts growling and she levitates off the bed. I did have a question about this. So her whole personality changes. Mm -hmm. But when the other dog demon possesses Lewis, nothing about him changes. He's already so canine. I don't know about that. He's very earnest and desperate for love. (laughs) I guess. But, like, she becomes this, like, she does her makeup and hair and everything and becomes this, like, seductive thing. And then he's just like, gotta run the game master. Like, the same character. So, clearly, these dog demons are very different. He's a little bit more intense. He's very single-minded when it happens. Right. But he doesn't get a fierce makeover. Well, I think that's because she is taken in her own home where they are able, then, to give her this makeover. Yeah. But he's captured by Tavern of the Green. Tavern of the Green. So, they just have to work with what they've got. They're like, all right, we can't give this guy a sweet makeover, like, a cape and a top hat because you know gozer only into the most fashionable of minions so you can't do that because they're at right. tavern on the green and they don't have access to lewis's closet where he definitely has a wide array of capes so they need to get him back to the gatekeeper just so they can move ahead with the apocalypse right so then what happens is the apocalypse starts both of them are turned back into the dog demons which i found really weird because i was like why did they need to possess people if they, they were going to go immediately back? what because they need to have sex to open the portal oh right and apparently the two dog demons are infertile i think that they don't have genitalia that's fair so but then they do become these dog demons so dana and uh lewis just kind of disappear for a while yeah meanwhile they have to fight gozer who is this fierce, glam, 80s rock lady. Uh, Amazing. She's my favorite character in this movie. She looks so cool. The four Ghostbusters, they're the city heroes. They're up on top of the building, like, shooting their lasers at Gozer, trying to fight her. Yeah. And then Gozer disappears and summons her champion. Right. (laughs) The Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. (laughs) Which takes on the form of whatever you're thinking about. So they try not to think about anything. But Ray tries to think about one thing that could never let him down. And it's the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. It's incredible. It's such a good joke. I really wish we'd gotten more of the glam 80s rock villain. Only if she had done 
a like glam rock power ballad cover of the Ghostbusters song. I would be so here for that. That's what they should be doing over the credits. It's just like a box on the side of her doing that. Because you know what screams Sumerian gods is 80s glam rock. Well, they made that choice. Now they got to lean into it. Yeah. Oh, I was so here for her. But we can skip over all of that because the romance disappears. The Ghostbusters save the day. Yay! And so point five... I guess they kind of rescue Dana, but only... Well, they defeat Gozer. They defeat Gozer, which, which allow, then yeah. allows Dana to reemerge from the stone carcass right. of so the dog demon. The dog demon is turned back into the gargoyle. They don't see her at first, so they are like, oh no, she's dead. Yeah, they kind of figure she's dead. Yeah, and then her hand breaks out of the gargoyle, so they pull her out, and she is swoony. Right, yeah, he lifts her out. She's staying like, where am I? She has no idea what's been going on. Right, and then Lewis shows up, and no one cares about him. No one cares. <laughs> So they go down to the street where the crowd is cheering. The Ghostbusters have saved the day. Mm-hmm. Dana and Peter kiss. No, uh, most awkward first kiss. Yes. It looked so bad. It was painful. Yeah. Lewis is trying to get new customers. Right. Lewis is trying to get new customers. And then they show a brief like smile between Egon and Janine. Janine is the best. Which is all I needed. I didn't need them to like explicitly get together. But just the hint that they did was enough for me. Oh, yeah. So... So what do you think? Yeah. What do you think? Is the Peter Dana relationship believable? No. (laughs) Tell me more. Um, He's a little too, I guess it might work in the 80s, but he's so forward that it's definitely a turnoff. I would say. He's very forward. Like, he doesn't take no for an answer enough in terms of wanting to be dating. It's pretty believable for the most part. I guess it's believable on his end, but I don't know about her. Yeah. It's also barely a relationship. It is barely, we don't really see them. I guess it's more about them falling in love, which if movies have taught us anything, being rescued is the biggest aphrodisiac. So yeah, I would, I guess so. My biggest thing is also, he says, I love you within an hour of meeting her, which is a big red flag. I feel like that's one of those things. It's a law of averages situation. You do it enough and at some point it's going to work. I guess. But do you want to be with the person that it works with? Probably not. Right. That's the gamble. Where would you rate it on Um, our 10 point scale? I feel like it's, because I really do find a lot of it pretty believable, at least up to the point. I mean, it ends with them kissing once. Yeah. It's not asking a lot of us. It really isn't. I could put it at like a seven. Yeah, I was thinking a six. Just because also, like, if you're going to count the musical number in Easy A, that means we have to count the ghost busting in this movie, Will. Yeah, you take the movie at its level. For Howard the Duck, we had to acknowledge, like, okay, he's a duck. We're going with this. Yeah. In this movie, we have to go with the fact that ghost busting exists. Right. But do we believe that under those circumstances, a relationship would then happen? Um, I Still, I think I'm going to stick to a six. All what right. Do, what have we put at a six? Nothing, I think. I think we've always gone seven. Cool. Well, I want to be an original. Okay, I'm going seven. Okay. Um, do you think that Venkman and Dana are dateable? Uh, Venkman, no. Correct. That is the correct answer. Yeah. He's a sleazebag. Dana, yes. Yeah, I could date Dana. She's cool. She's a cellist. She seems rich. She's she definitely in seems rich. the orchestra. She's on the penthouse. Yeah. With her cello. And she's Sigourney Weaver. And she cooks stir fry. Yeah. I was into it. And there's a friendly accountant down the hall. Yeah. I feel like he and I could be friends once he got over the fact that I was dating Dana. Yeah, at some point. You could go to his parties as a business expense. I would go to all of his parties. They seemed like a fun time. He had a lot of food. He had a lot of board games. Yeah. They were going to play Twister. I'm into it. It was great. If you had to pick one person in this movie to date, who would it be? Um, I'm torn between Janine and Gozer. <laughs> Keep in mind, Gozer wants to destroy you and the world you live on. 
that doesn't turn you on? Not when Janine is also an option. <laughs> I don't know. Something about the destruction of the universe gets me going. I feel like Janine is quietly seeking destruction of her own universe. I really like Janine. Her maddened frustration with everything that's happening. But Gozer is one of the most glamorous people to have graced our screen in a she long really time. Is. So uh, I'll stick with Gozer. You can have Janine. Yeah, I'm going to take Janine. My other pick, if you had taken Janine, was going to be Ernie Hudson. Yeah, that's true. We don't see enough of his character because they cut all of his lines. Right. Which is really sad. He's great. Yeah. Okay. Uh, real fast, I actually have one more new game for us to play as well. Oh, what's that? Do you think these people stay together? No. I don't think that Venkman is in it to stay together. Oh. I don't think he's ready to commit. He doesn't seem to be giving off that vibe. Yeah, I think you're probably right. He seems more into the conquest than the actual settling. Yeah. So... I think that's a question that's worth asking for some of these movies. Yeah. I have not seen Ghostbusters 2. I don't know if Sigourney Weaver is even in it. I hope she's not. Yeah. <laughs> Which One of the weird things with the Ghostbusters sequels is that part of the deal for the movie was that in order to make sequels, all four of the principals, Ivan Reitman, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, and Bill Murray, mm -hmm. all four of them had to sign off on a script for them to make a new movie. Which is why it took them so long to make a third Ghostbusters, the 2016 one. Right. Because they needed everybody to sign on. Wasn't or at least it? everybody's yeah. still alive to sign on. Wasn't Dan Aykroyd the holdout on that? Um, there have been mixed stuff about whether yeah. it was Aykroyd, whether it was Murray. There's been a lot of stories that bounce around. Yeah. That's actually also true of Indiana Jones. George right. Lucas, Harrison, Harrison Ford, Ford, and, and Spielberg yeah. all need to sign off on him. The 80s were weird in the kind of yeah, deals that they were. It's would a make. weird deal. I mean, I'm curious if we want to go back to some of the highlights. Do you think while you were sleeping, Sandy and what's his name? Bill Amy. Pullman? Bill Pullman. Did they stay together? Yeah, they definitely do. They're madly in love with each other. If you say so. I believe it. They 100%. known each other two weeks. I'm 100% on board. They stay together. Okay. Kumail and Emily? You know. <laughs> the uh, only one we have confirmation of them staying together? Some of the things I've seen on Twitter make me think that that's canon. <laughs> Can I say one more thing about this movie before we close off? Yeah. Watching this movie, and I, again, this is not set up as a trap. Watching this movie, I feel like this is what Howard the Duck wanted to be. I can actually buy that. Like a supernatural sci-fi comedy, a little bit raunchy, but still accessible for everybody. Right. I feel like this is what their goal was. I'd buy that. That's two years later. Ghostbusters had been this huge hit. Oh, especially if it's after. Yeah. yeah it was trying to recreate the success of Ghostbusters, right. probably. And instead we got... Howard the Duck. Duck boobs. Ugh, a loss for humanity. But a gain for us. If you say so. <laughs> okay. Um, I think that probably does it for Ghostbusters. Yeah. Done with that. And next week, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. It's our 2017 Oscars extravaganza. Woo! Yay! So one week before the Oscars, tune in to hear the two of us pass ultimate judgment on the romances of this year's Best Picture nominees. We're looking forward to hearing what you think, so be sure to let us know on social media. You can tell us your favorite 2017 romances on Facebook and Twitter at Heart of Podness. And make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you do write us a review, tell us what corporate mascot you would choose to do battle against for the fate of the universe you can email us questions or movie suggestions at heartofpodness at gmail.com we're planning to incorporate more listener suggestions on a regular basis so we're going to need your help to do that moving forward last question what's the best piece of dating advice you got from this movie i mean it's creepy when it happens in the movie but it seems like ray has figured something out with ghosts oh god <laughs> Oh boy, I don't know if I can add anything to this conversation, so let's just wrap it up. All right, until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay, so between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Bye! Purple rain.